Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. It's time to get your fitness on with the nation's premier personal trainer and wellness coach, Ben Greenfield, each week on Ben Greenfield Fitness here on Podcast One. Need more fitness advice? Join Ben this week as he meets up with podcast legend Adam Carolla on The Adam Carolla Show. Download Ben Greenfield Fitness every Wednesday and don't miss Ben on The Adam Carolla Show on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Really excited for my guest, longtime friend of the show, participant, of course, in the mock-off season, Dan Feldman of NBC's Pro Basketball Talk. And we ended up having a really fascinating discussion that kind of melded the rest of this season with what we're looking at for the offseason. Both of us are knee-deep in our work, kind of looking forward to June and July, and so made it a natural point to look in both of those time frames at the same time. Also got into who we want to make the playoffs and a lot of other interesting topics. This is a longer one. It's uh, about an hour 40, and it is brought to you by Peter Millar. You can go to com slash RealGM for free shipping, free hat, great clothing, high quality, and betonline.ag. Use that familiar podcast one promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus. And TrueCar, great place to sell or trade in your car. As I said, this is a longer one. I cracked up because there is a point about halfway through where I kind of start to queue up the ending and then we just ended up just rolling. So you can enjoy it. And we cover just a ton of ground during this. So hope you like it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk a fair amount over the course of this podcast about, you know, offseason and and, and off the court stuff. We we should probably start with the actual basketball. And I'll I'll start it with an open-ended question, which is just, you know, we're a little bit outside of the All-Star break now. What has stood out to you with either what has happened or just kind of where the league is right now? I think we just have uh, two fantastic high-stakes races in each conference. In the West, it's just to get in the playoffs, that mix of the Kings, Lakers, uh, Clippers, I guess you got to put the Spurs in there now. Uh, and then in the East, uh, what the Pacers are doing, making it so if you have the consensus top four teams of the, the Bucks, Raptors, 76ers, Celtics in whatever order, uh, you could have two of them playing each other in the first round. Uh, the stakes of avoiding that if you're the, the 76ers, or I, I guess it's probably more on the, the Celtics now, uh, to avoid that is, is really interesting to me too. Well, that also gets into something that is, you know, looming in the background here. If Indiana and, you know, get it, keeping the third seed is a lot just because that they're right now they're tied in the loss column as we record this with the Sixers. But let's say theoretically they did. Then that team, then that would ensure that three of those four teams would actually be on the same side of the bracket. And you could create a scenario where being the two seed is actually more desirable than being the one. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. My instinct is that the Pacers end up in the four or five series but that is lingering in the background because Indiana just keeps on winning. Yeah, I mean, a lot of credit to Nate McMillan and the other Pacers. Uh, Wesley Matthews has helped them. They are not making this easy. I expected them to fade already. I no longer have that expectation that they're going to slip. I I think they could, but I'm definitely like just looking at it eyes wide open now. I'm not assuming it anymore. Right, and they've been dealing with injuries beyond the Oladipo thing. I mean, you have Sabonis, who's out right now. Tyreek Evans has missed a bunch of time, and they've done really well. You know, they've been able to to handle that. 
one of the benefits of having Kylo Quinn, who has largely been mothballed during this season, at least comparatively for a guy who got the the mid-level exception, is that they had him in case either Turner or Sabonis went down. And so now you have four, you can still have 48 minutes of solid center play, even with one of your two guys out. Speaking of that, this may or may not work its way into something I'm writing soon. What would you do uh, with long-term with Sabonis and Miles Turner? Do you think that it's worth paying what it'll take to pay both of them? Or do you think the Pacers have to make a decision? And how do you go about making that decision between the two? Well, that's a it's, it's a really good question and, a, and a compelling one because of, especially because of the position that they play. Because center, as one of the two extremes, you know, you have centers and point guards, it, it is harder to often play those guys together. And I think we've seen that with Sabonis and, and Turner. What really helps, and I was I was critical. I thought that Indiana gave Turner too much, and it turns out that contract looks good. I mean, I think he he's been wonderful defensively this year, and Sabonis has been very good as well. So the, what I I think I don't think you have to make a move right away, but you are dependent on or the the key swing factors are going to be two things. One. What kind of offers do you get for either one of those guys? I would rather keep Turner, but if the offers are deeply one direction or the other, and they're, or would say it's just one ludicrous one for one guy or the other, then, then yeah, you consider that. And then the other part is Sabonis is going to be extension eligible this offseason. That runs all the way until the start of the year. And if he is, you know, demanding a really high number or you're, you know, you don't think that you, the math is going to work out there, even though theoretically it doesn't affect their 1920 plans rigidly. If, if you start to see that the long term of those two guys together is untenable financially, I would rather be proactive than just get caught in a trap. So I hate to say it depends, but it really does. And, and that gets into this. I mean, I think it's such a, such a fascinating off season for a bunch of different reasons, but one of them is going to be not only, you know, how do these teams value for agents, but also what are they willing to pony up for a trade? Because if you, if you're going, let's say for Sabonis this off season, you are getting him for an extra year at a discounted price, you know, it'll be 3.5 million for next year, which is a wonderful, you know, whether you're starting him or he's coming off the bench, but then the assumption has to be that he will, that Sabonis will be properly paid or close to it. And there is a chance Sabonis ends up in that, you know, top 15 center. I mean, he has the, he has the tools to do it. I've been impressed with his defense, but anything less than that group, if a player is properly paid is probably not that valuable. Yeah. Center is the real tricky spot uh, throughout the league. I think teams are still recalibrating what it means to pay centers and often overpaying. And I know you guys have, you in particular have talked about this a lot is, uh, how much centers in that not top tier, not even like the high second tier get paid and how it's probably not worth it rather than to just get a, a low paid center off the scrap heap. The, the upgrade in production is just not that much anymore. Yeah. Kevin Pelton has done some really good work on this in terms of like the, va- the value, the replacement player value for center is really high. And when the replacement player value is high, that means that you probably shouldn't throw as much money in the position. Now, there are obviously guys that are so good that they, I mean, you could say they overcome it or that they defy that orthodoxy. But I mean, you look at just all of the players that are available for the minimum or close to it. And then also add into that how depending on your lineups, depending on who's available, there are a lot of people who are not 
quote unquote traditional centers that can play minutes there. So there isn't as much urgency, you know, if you, if, if it's a clear backup five, yeah, you can have the Ennis canners of the world. You can, there are lots of different ways to succeed at the center spot, but I mean, there are also guys, Pascal Siakam, I mean, he's too good to be a backup center. Like that's just not what you do with it. But those types of players succeeding is a reminder that you can go in, in in a smaller direction and still work out really well. Yes. And to bring it back to Turner and Sabonis, I, you know, I think Turner with what he's shown defensively and he's a guy I was always like, he's on track with the potential. We always saw this all makes sense. This doesn't seem to be an outlier. You know, I think he's one of those centers who, who is a real difference maker where you want him. You don't want to just rely on a replacement level center. And Sabonis is better than a replacement level center for sure, but would you rather pay him or have a replacement level center? I think that's still a question. I, the way he's just made every shot he's thrown up this year, I don't know how sustainable that is. And, you know, the sample keeps getting larger and he's still shooting great from all areas of the floor. And so you start to believe in it more, but it's still questionable. It's still somewhere in that range of questionable. It is remarkable how his game and our perception of his game has changed since that rookie year thrust into being a starting power forward on Oklahoma City. Definitely not the greatest fit in terms of his game and everything. He had, you know, he had that catastrophically low free throw attempt rate that first year. I think, he, I mean, there was one point where it was like deep in the year and I think he had like six or seven free throw attempts on the season. <laughs> and now he's so much more of a, a complete player. And there will be in this time where the center position is like, I, I think teams are slowly starting to calibrate here. I think there will be some some real values. I mean, Brooke Lopez is probably as extreme an example as we'll get for years of a guy who just hadn't been utilized. It's a little unfair to say he hadn't been, like, he'd been misused or something like that. He became a, a different player, and the Bucks and Budenholzer had a specific spot that he is perfect for. So, but there will be values at the sp- at that position, and there will also be guys that just aren't good enough. And so, I'm really excited to see how those pieces play out over the next couple of years as these teams start calibrating, because also we know it's just a fact of life that there will be teams that are slower on the uptake. And some of the, like, I mean, when you look at the, the worst contracts in 2016 and I mean, Felicio, I believe was 2017, a lot of those are, were centers and that's not really a surprise. Felicio was a 2016 contract in 2017 because the Bulls are like, oh my God, look at all how much all these players are getting. We gotta we gotta rush to to pay Felicio this much, and then the market kind of changed immediately after that that same summer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was the year we saw we saw a bunch of good players because 2017 was was rough. I mean, so was 2018. Like you saw players ending up with less, and I mean. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Sabonis ends up being a very, very good player. He's still young. I think this is his age 22 season. So lots of lots of growth that can still happen there. And Indiana, I mean, I, I just think they're such a such an such a interesting, unusual team. And I, I've drawn parallels for years, and it's it's weird how that's stayed true with them in Utah, where they'll have a lot of flexibility this year, and I have no idea what they want to do with it. I mean, with Indiana's success, especially without Oladipo this year, they would be completely within their rights 
to just say, hey, as long as we don't have to overpay, you know, Thad Young and Bogdanovich, who has had an, a wonderful year, then we can, you know, we can run this back. And there is the big challenge with those guys of duration. I think that's the biggest question for Indiana's retentions is how many years do you want to give those guys, not how much per year, because that affects, you know, how long this team is what they are. And then in Utah, they have Ricky Rubio, they have Derek Favors, those guys have, you know, they, they've had their ups and downs over the last couple of years. But then you get into this big question of it, both of those teams, if you're not in the mix, and it doesn't sound like they are, if you're not in the mix for the best of the best, what are they going to do with their space? Are they going to try to, you know, hit a bunch of doubles, maybe a triple or two? There is a there's a rationale for that to be sure. But that is also a really low ceiling approach most of the time. I do think this is such a fascinating area in team building. When you have this veteran team, you're obviously like way too good to just start tanking to add talent. So you got to figure out which of these vets can be the guy, you know, a veteran team with cap flexibility. Sometimes you're capped down. That's just who you are. But when you're like the Pacers, when you're like the Jazz, uh, and you have this flexibility, you got to make some hard choices. And I always, you know, obviously growing up in Michigan is why I think of this first, but I think of the quintessential example of a team that did it right was the Pistons before they, they won the championship. I think people forget they had a team that won 50 games starting Chucky Atkins, Jerry Stackhouse, Michael Curry, Cliff Robinson, and Ben Wallace. And they smartly realized that those players did not have the the talent to compete deep in the playoffs, that they could overachieve in the regular season. It was a great story, and I'm sure there was some temptation just to keep it going, but they turned over the roster uh, and got got in you know, real premier talent, guys who could win deep in the playoffs, Chauncey Billups, Richard Hamilton. Uh, they had Tayshawn Prince sitting on the bench but said, okay, we need to give him a bigger role, and they went out and got Rashid Wallace. And so it's a tough turnover to make. Very few teams do it without dipping down. And, you know, I think that is the challenge now for the Pacers, for the Jazz. The Jazz, I think, are a little different because I think they have a couple clear centerpieces. I think you can win very deep in the playoffs with Donovan Mitchell, what he's going to grow into with Rudy Gobert. Those are real stars that you want as just figuring out the supporting cast. The Pacers, I think for them to win on the highest levels, it's going to take a complete overhaul because the the roster they have, the ages of those players, of those veterans, I mean, beyond Oladipo, I'm just not sure those guys are are getting better, and I don't think they're good enough to win on the highest levels now. It's funny because when you when you started that, I was thinking, I'm like, oh my god, is he going to say that Oladipo's too old? But yeah, getting to everybody else, he actually might be. I mean, he, I mean, not 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 too old, but I do have questions of coming back from this injury. Like, well, oh, the so Pistons I think example. I think the, the thing to say here, I, I think the way to frame this might be: Has Oladipo played his best basketball or close to it? Yes. Yeah. That, yes. The answer could easily be yes. I mean, yeah. first of all, this, the season that he had in eighteen nineteen, sorry, seventeen eighteen, there were elements of that that, like in that hottest stretch, and I think that was January, February, maybe March too, were unsustainable. I mean, we've seen those parts not completely sustained. I was tracking for dunked on in our fifteen and sixty podcast sheet, like basically the the shots that he was taking, you know, pull up threes and all that kind of stuff, and they were they were more in line with his full season numbers than that hot stretch. But I mean, you're also dealing with this. Well, sounds like it's a you know a season long injury or something close to it, and that is very different when you're 26. Even though it took a while for Donovan Mitchell to make it in the NBA, it is very reasonable to say that his best days are ahead of him. Yes, yeah. I mean, 
the Donovan or the uh, Oladipo comparison I might make is Jerry Stackhouse. You know, if the Pistons are the quintessential example of how to how to do this, how to make that jump. Jerry Stackhouse had an awesome year. It looked like the best season of his career. He improved so much. He was no longer the selfish gunner. He really worked on his distributing and fitting in more with the team and looking more for efficiency than just volume. And then they traded him immediately after that when his value was the highest for Rip Hamilton. And it it seemed like such an unloyal move to him, but it was absolutely the right move for the franchise. And, you know, I, I think the Pacers have to really look at something like that with Oladipo if there's something there and you know it, it's a hard decision to make and I really like Oladipo's game I like that he brings on both ends I love his attitude his work ethic and maybe you know he strikes me as the type of person who can have a better season than the one he had uh, last year but man if you look at just the odds of it happening with the injury with how unsustainably good he was like you said uh, I don't know there's also an argument to be made, and I think this is where I would kind of lean for the Pacers, maybe, that title contention is a lot to ask. Like, it, <laughs> basically, if you're, if you're as far from that from that conversation as they might be. And and they've been awesome. Like the Pacers and actually I think they kind of parallel in this way the Portland Trailblazers where I don't think there's any shame in being a very good team that probably isn't going to win a championship that can host a playoff series when things go well and can can win a playoff series. I mean the Pacers nearly won a playoff series last year and they could have maybe won uh, that Pacers Raptors series should that have been what happened if they had won the game 7 would have been <laughs> crazy. Like I mean you would have seen a yeah. very different Raptors team, all that kind of stuff. But I do want to run through the ages of some of the important Pacers. So their centers are young. This is basketball reference ages, so I believe that's February 1st. Miles Turner, 22. Sabonis, 22. So those guys are young. Then you have Collison, 31. Corey Joseph, 27. Bogdanovich, 29. Thad Young, 30. And Matthews, 32. Tyreek, 29. So I use the example, and TJ Leafs, 21. And we'll see what he can be. He's had some nice games recently. And a good a good kind of test case there that I, I've used this a lot because I write more about the Warriors than any other team about not necessarily your prime, but are you in a place where the reasonable expectation is that each season will be worse than the season before? And with those Pacers guys, though some of them have taken major strides in recent years, including Bogdanovich having, you know, having a wonderful year, the expectation should be, you know, he's turning 30, that he's not going to, you know, turn over a new leaf and, and become an even better player next year. It's possible. You know, there's a difference between something being unlikely and being impossible. And that's a problem, though, if it's basically your whole team other than your centers, unless somebody like Holiday, T.G. Leaf, those kind of guys step up. Yes. Can I just real quick? I'm so glad we're spending so much time talking about the Pacers because they are by far the team attention to record. Yeah, I would definitely say that's fair. I mean, there isn't, I don't think there's anybody even particularly close to them on that. Denver has gotten a little bit more shine recently, Mm -hmm. but Indiana and Denver are also pretty close in terms of record, (laughs) and Indiana doesn't get talked about at all. Like, at all. And McMillan, you know, another just great coaching job from him. I, my misgivings about him in the playoffs are still there a little bit, though I think he did a better job last year than I anticipated. But yeah, I think I'm trying to think of who else would be in that conversation. I mean, San Antonio is kind of a different thing, but yeah, they're probably there too because very few, I mean, every once in a while it's like the how are they succeeding type <laughs> of thing, which is certainly right. there. Uh, but another team, like it kind of as we're talking about defining themselves, that probably gets more attention, though they definitely do in our bubble and that always makes it hard, is Brooklyn. And 
Brooklyn's thought process this offseason has changed dramatically in the way that you want it to as a front office, and that is by a player getting doing a lot better. Now, how much better D'Angelo Russell is, you know, I'm not 100% sure that everything he's doing better is going to be there for that, like, that's just who he is now, but he's an all-star, pending restricted free agent, and they know how to use him, so that, ha- you know, that has good parts and bad parts. The good parts is it's a player that you have match rights on, you can retain him, but then it does make it harder to undergo these wholesale changes. And remember, they already committed to another guard, a point guard, if we want to think of Dinwiddie and Russell that way, already. Like, that's that's done. He's he, They could trade Dinwiddie on that extension if they want to, I, you know, at a, in the offseason. But they have some big calls to make here, and it looks to me like they're going to do all of that in 2019 as opposed to kicking the can down the road to 2020 and beyond. Oh, see, I was just going to say, I, I kind of think they're going to kick the can down to 2020. I mean, R- Russell's the big one that you have no choice but to make a, a big call on, but the rest could kind of just get strung along, especially with just the overall composition of the roster. I think they've got to feel great about where they are, and they're fairly young, and you know, maybe you just give it another year, though. You know, there's plenty of room for that that to not work out. I, I think their, their biggest question going forward um, – one step beyond what to do with Spencer Dinwiddie is how do Dinwiddie or I'm sorry, what to do with D'Angelo Russell? How do Dinwiddie, Russell, and Karis LeVert fit together? Because they figured out a lot of this uh, of how to to get the best out of D'Angelo Russell. Well, Karis LeVert's been sidelined, and he is a lead ball handler type. And getting all three of them together, I don't know if that's going to work. And so that's definitely something they're going to have to evaluate as LeVert is healthy now the rest of the year. They also have to do those evaluations at a very challenging time from a GM's perspective because all of them are about to get properly paid or close to it. So Dinwiddie just got his contract, so he will get a big raise starting in the 1920 season. Russell's going to get his raise over the summer. And then Karis LeVert will be extension eligible this summer and then will start his new contract, whether it's an extension or, you know, offer sheet, whatever it's going to be, in the 2020 season. And it's a lot easier to just kind of try the pieces out when all of them are cheap than when you have to pay them and you have to evaluate it. And then you're getting at the opportunity cost of what else could you do with that money? What else could you do with the assets that you could theoretically acquire for one or more of those guys? And you are right that they could roll it to 2020. Part of the math would get easier for them because Alan Crabb, his $18.5 million expires. And they don't really, I mean, Levert will get paid more that year, but think that like they did with Joe Harris, you can have the low cap hold and roll with that if they want to keep Levert around. So they could do it to 2020. And if I were Marks or if you listen to my opinion, what I would say is it's so, this is so easy to say, so much easier to say than to do. But it depends on who says yes. You know, like if Jimmy Butler says, yeah, I want to come to Brooklyn, you know, you need to give me a, a max, con- a 79 year, 30% max contract, but I'll come to Brooklyn then by all means. I mean, yeah, there are some, off- there are some shenanigans that could be, you know, that make Jimmy, but life with Jimmy Butler harder, but he's a really, really good basketball player. And probably from a talent perspective, better than they would expect to get in 2020. But if, you know, he says no, and especially because the two, three, four, more the three, four market is so thin in 2019. It's also awful in 2020. 
that maybe at that point you just go, well, let's see what we have. Maybe we can get somebody into trade, something like that, as opposed to like spending a bunch of money. I, I think the archetype here might be what Portland did with Evan Turner of like, we have all this money. We might as well spend it on somebody. So we'll pay Evan Turner and, and Myers Leonard. And then unfortunately, even though they have a, or had a rich owner who was okay with it, it changes the way you think about your team. It changes the way you build. Yeah. I mean, oof, what a what an example with Evan Turner and Myers Leonard. That's not inspiring. Um, if you're going that route, and again, not an inspiring example, but it might almost be better to do what the Magic did with uh, Jeff Green, where, yeah, you overpay for a vet, but you do it for one year instead of four. I'm happy you brought that up because there are going to be just a ridiculous number of free agents. I actually brought this up in a radio interview recently and the, the host's mind got blown when I said like more than half the league is going to be free agents this year. We don't know the exact number yet because it depends on some options and some various things. But I, I've heard between 50 and 65% of the league is going to be there. And there are a significant portion of those players that have taken short-term contracts recently. And so a dividing line in certain circumstances, I don't know why the guy in my head for this is Tyreek Evans, but Thaddeus Young's another one. There are a bunch of them are going to have to make these really challenging choices between signing a longer, like holding the fort down saying, I want a three or a four year contract, or, you know, I'll try to roll the dice again in 2020. Lots more to talk about with Dan Feldman, but first a message from Peter Millar. Peter Millar was not a brand that I was particularly familiar with before I got a package from them. It was actually before I even heard they were a sponsor, and I was really impressed with the quality of the materials, the color, the fit, the feel, and then it was no surprise when I talked with the people at Peter Millar that they have grown into a premium American lifestyle brand because of those elements. They are Their products are made from the finest quality materials, unparalleled construction, and an amazing attention to detail. And that's something that you really do notice in every garment you have. I have a nice little variety now, and you see it in everything. The polo shirt I got from them is my favorite one now. It feels great. It looks great. And they have a great look, too, because, you know, I have nothing nothing against, of course, the more, you know, more avant-garde stuff in fashion. But you do run into an issue every once in a while. I mean, I see this in my wardrobe where you run into something, you're like, oh, I don't really think I want to wear that anymore. And what I've already found, now I haven't had it for years, but when I look at the dress shirts, when I look at the polo shirts, I go, oh, okay, I can... That That's going to look good on me for a long time, and that's exactly what you're looking for. And that style fits really well, especially for those of us who don't have a ton of capital to use on on clothing. So you can get Peter Millar stuff. It, it looks great on you. It will continue to. And it's versatile, which is, which is, again, incredibly valuable. So if you want to check it out, the way you do so is you go to petermillar.com. That's M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash RealGM. And when you use that URL, not only does it tell them that you came from us, but you get free shipping and a free hat, which is awesome. So again, that is petermillar, M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash RealGM for complimentary shipping and a free hat. Check it out. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. 
We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Do you see any of the top-end players doing that? Because I know you've written about this and we've talked about it, is how weak the 2020 free agent class is. Do you see anybody who's a real high-end difference maker in the 2019 class maybe taking a one-plus-one or a one-year deal? Partially because he has done it before, I would not be surprised if Kevin Durant did, if yeah. he if he did a one-plus-one. And because I think that he is less freaked out about, you know, age-related regression. Now, if it, if he re-signs with the Warriors, I expect it, it will be a long-term thing just because if he makes the decision to come back, I don't, I don't, my instinct is that he's, that he's saying, okay, that's where I want to do my next step. But if he's somewhere like he did with Golden State, where he's like, hey, I'm going to be here for a few years, he can sign that as a one-year deal and then a three-year or four-year deal. Like, you can, you can go that direction. And the benefit for let's say, theoretically, Kevin Durant were considering the New York Knicks. Theoretically, <laughs> if that were the case, the Knicks would have, first of all, they have you know the capacity to spend a lot. But with this is something that is actually really interesting with expensive players. You get a lot out of non-bird rights if you're already paying a guy a lot of money. You know, like non-bird rights are useless for Brooke Lopez, but they are extremely useful for somebody like Kevin Durant. So you can, you can, as long as the cap doesn't spike, you should be able to give them their full max. And so that's, that's good for, that's good for KD, gives him a little bit of like a, a, like kind of a disaster mitigation. And if he went somewhere like the Knicks, though, I honestly think Durant is a good enough player that barring catastrophic injury, almost any team would be in this boat where he can say, Hey, I'll do a one plus one. And then the expectation is that I'll be here for three, you know, I'll sign a three year deal or something like that after it. Right. I'm glad you brought up Brooke Lopez um, because I do think his free agency will be particularly fascinating. But I know you wanted to talk about Bledsoe too, so maybe we should do a wider look at the Bucks first. Yeah, we can talk about the Bucks here. I, I think that they <laughs> – Was that intentional? Oh, of course it was. Okay. I, Very I, smooth. I, Very with smooth. The, with, with the originator of the phrase and a <laughs> an uncomfortably large portion of the fun things that have come from Dunked On or from you even though you're only – like you're you're on, <laughs> let's say, like – Two percent of the episodes, but something like fifty percent of the things that people like really gravitate to. In- I will, I, I'll admit I was disappointed when you were talking about Alan Crab that you didn't do the voice. I I see. I think part of why it's fun for Nate to do the voice is that it's like I I I used to sing and actually have a falsetto, and so it doesn't. <laughs> I think it, it it doesn't push me as hard, and so I don't I I don't think it gets the same feel. But yeah, I, let's let's get to Bledsoe. I mean, so wait, that- wait, wait. Before we do that, uh, used to sing. I didn't. I don't think I knew that. But as long as we're talking about cool things about you, I just want everybody to make sure you go check out Danny's Twitter feed. And he posted a photo. Danny always has the coolest T-shirts, and this might be my favorite one. The Blake Griffin shirt is amazing. I can't believe you own that. I had that shipped directly to Vegas for Summer <laughs> League that year. I wore it like the day Blake Griffin signed that contract. And I remember I was with uh, I was with Ethan Sherwood Strauss and a few other people, and when we were there for Summer League. And the unfortunate thing is I couldn't wear it 
to the summer league stuff because like to you know like to the games because that you know I, I I'm casual in Vegas but I'm not that casual you know that would I think that would breach some sort of protocol but yeah it was it, that that I'm trying to remember there was another shirt that I got shipped that oh no it might have been a dunked on shirt that I got shipped there that year um but yeah I, I, I yeah so I wore that yesterday I was meeting I met Ian Carmel who does uh, who's a who writes for James Corden and is a huge basketball fan and I'm like I want to wear something that he'll that'll crack him up and and it, it definitely did that and somebody who was actually Blake Griffin I believe they were teammates in the, in LA back a lifetime and a half ago Eric Bledsoe was yeah I guess another they, smooth transition yeah I, I I was trying to think uh, they have to have been teammates and because yeah. I mean that oh actually that's a little sidetrack that those CP Bledsoe backcourts in Bledsoe's early years I, I, I think I want to go back and watch some of those games because I remember just being blown away by how destructive those guys were defensively and as somebody who has said for years that guard defense is not as valuable because it isn't those guys really did make a big difference yeah I mean Bledsoe hasn't brought it consistently like that as his offense has developed and that's fine you know he's still a good defensive point guard but man did you see the end of the uh yeah who uh, who would uh, who did the uh the bucks just beat the other night where on the final possession Bledsoe's defense was just amazing was it the kings i think it, I think was, it was the, the kings. kings yeah i actually yeah, missed against, that yeah, but it doesn't surprise Aaron fox well yeah. i was there when Bledsoe. i mean one of his best performances this season was when they played the warriors at oracle and Bledsoe just took Steph Curry out of the game in a way that very few guys ever have. And he was denying, I mean, Van Vliet did the whole like deny at the point, like denial and making him work for that. But Bledsoe was getting around every screen. He was slipping through things and just, he's, he's so strong and mm-hmm. still moves really well that, you know, he, he's, it's not the same as Paul George. I mean, actually, I think when, when Bledsoe plays to his, plays to his maximum capacity, I think there are some parallels. You know, he's kind of like a guard version of that. But it's so amazing to, to see him still have, you know, maybe not his full fastball, but pretty close to that. And now he's going to be a Milwaukee Buck. You know what? I guess they could trade him for the next four seasons. We don't have all of the terms of the contract yet. We do know that it is, you know, basically that it's four years, 70 million, and we'll see what the structure is. But I think what you and I will will probably find most compelling about this is the decision that he made to not only skip free agency, but to say, this is this is my value and I'm going to stay with this team. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a fair value. Um, I think for the Bucks to have the certainty of you can get him at this number and keep this good thing going, I, I think it makes all the sense in the world. And so if you're Bledsoe, I think he maybe even had leverage to to go for a little more, but it, it works out well for him that the, he gets all the security. He's had major injury in his career. I, I think it's a very fair deal. And I'm sure very comforting for the Bucks to have this fair deal in their pocket now rather than all of the uncertainty of having four of their starters in this awesome year heading into free agency. Now it's just three. Right. And getting Bledsoe reasonable value that next year will be his age 29 season. So, you know, the end of that might get a little bit dicey, but maybe they'll have some sort of partial guarantees or something. We don't know all those terms as we record this. And Bledsoe is kind of ties in with the idea of the present being an important part of the Bucks timeline. You have this really weird dichotomy of Giannis being so good, so young, 
but also he is so good so young that it will be very difficult for the Bucks to add a lot of similarly aged talent around him because they're not going to get good draft picks. They already have traded some away also, of course. And that means you kind of have to play the play the hand you've been dealt. And so now, actually, I should correct it. This is Bledsoe's 29th, age 29 season. Next year will be his age 30 season. And um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, you have Lopez and Miritich and Chris Middleton, of course, and Malcolm Brogdon. And it is a lot better to only have to deal with a couple of those guys. And the Bucks have the theoretical capacity to retain all of them using bird rights. Now, whether they actually want to pay all those guys is a very different question. But I don't know how they're feeling about Giannis's attitude towards their team. I mean, they could be a year away from not quite what New Orleans is going through, because I, I don't think Giannis is going to do that. But they could be 15 months away from Giannis saying, it's been a great run, but I'm looking for something else. And they could keep him. They could, you know, roll out that year and just like say, hey, we're going to do it. Or, you know, or you could just tell him nothing and then you get into all that kind of stuff. But the, how how er, how they feel the urgency of now is for John Horst, for their ownership group, is such a massive question for where the league is going, in no small part because there is an easy concoction here where the Bucks are the cha- favorites for the NBA championship in 2020 in on, let's say, July 15th. We might look back at them winning the title this year and say, wow, we were dumb for not having them the favorites for this year yep, once they, they win it. They because have they've been, been the, the best, best team, team in the league. Yes. Not, no one's been even close. Now, the Warriors have all this talent, and we obviously, for good reason, I think, think that they're going to be the best team in the end. But, man, the Bucks have been the best team throughout the entire season, and it's not even close. Um, I wrote earlier in the year about – I called it the $67 million question for the Bucks, which was – my projection for how far they'd be below the luxury tax line to keep Middleton, Bledsoe, Brogdon, and Lopez. And now I'm starting to think, based on how good the Bucks have continued to be, that my expectation is they will pay the tax next year if they need to, and they probably will need to. Uh, they've only paid it once in their history. It was the first year it was assessed in 2003. They haven't paid it since, but I am expecting them to. And now I think the question is, can they afford to keep Brook Lopez? Uh, because they only have non-bird rights on him. He's paid so little. That means you're probably going to have to use the mid-level exception to keep him. And let's just say you're willing to spend as a team whatever it takes. Well, if you spend, if you need the full non-tax payer mid-level exception for him, it's about nine million, then you're hard capped, uh, at a, a amount slightly above the the tax line and so yes even if you're willing to pay some tax you're not allowed to pay too much and is the non-taxpayer mid-level exception going to be enough to keep brook lopez as a point of reference here uh i'll use real gm's estimates for for next year the non-taxpayer mle is 9.2 million or thereabouts and the taxpayer is 5.7 that's a massive difference. That's a lot of money. And there will be plenty of teams that can, whether they will or not, offer Brook Lopez more than 5.7. There might even be some that offer him more than 9.2. So how happy he is with the situation, all that kind of stuff, you know, for somebody who has made money like he has in his career, it's possible, though not definite, that he could take less in either capacity to do it. But you're right. I, I hadn't really thought about the hard cap as being a point here, but it absolutely is. And there are ways that Milwaukee can 
change their books around. You know, they could, especially like, let's say if they could, if they can bring Miritich back, they could move Ersan Ilyasova, who makes 7 million for next year. They could also try to find a taker for Tony Snell at 11.4. But once you're hard capped, you have to have your ducks in a row for that entire league year. And it's possible they could say, hey, sign for that. You're going to have to wait because basically once he signs, then you're compl- then you, you just have to, you have to, cause you're not hard capped until you're hard capped. So you could, they could theoretically dance around it, get under it and then, and then hard cap themselves. But that is very hard to pull off. And you still got to get under it, you know, in the end to do it. And, you know, I, I think that's maybe, maybe manageable. Um, I mean, you would, like you said, they've already given up some draft picks. I don't know how much positive value Ilyasova has at seven million or Tony Snell at a little over 11. And so that could be difficult to move those guys. And there's also the question of if nine million will even be enough for Brooke Lopez. He's having such a good year. You know, he could be one of those difference making centers with the way he shoots threes now. Plus, Lopez and his agent have the arrow in their quiver of you can build a really good defense with him as a part of it. You know, like the, as as much as you know, we like to, to to exhort the benefits of a switching system, and oh, there's so much that you can do with that. Milwaukee elite defense, drop back center. They just committed even more to that by signing Pau Gasol. We'll see how that works out. But they they have this approach. It has worked incredibly well. Now, having Giannis as your four makes some of that easier because he's been underrated, I would say, defensively this season. He's been been very good. And they and the Bucks with Bledsoe, who who resigned, they have the not only do they have the critical mass of like good defenders to great defenders, but they also have very few clear negatives in the rotation, which is another way that a team can be very successful in the defensive end. Yeah, I mean they can play multiple styles they if they want to in the playoffs. Obviously, probably not with Lopez or Pau Gasol, but they can bring in different lines, whether it's Giannis at center or you know going small in different ways. Um, I want to go back to something you said about Giannis being so young and the rest of the core not, and it basically being impossible to add young players. Kind of look at him as one of these generational two, maybe even three, but multiple window players. The Bucks have a championship window open right now, and they should seize that and not worry about their next championship window. But whenever this one starts to close, once, you know, the the guys like Eric Bledsoe and Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton get too old, Giannis will still be young enough that you could rebuild and have another championship window with him. It's not easy. It's very hard to pull off. But that's the type of thing that you can do when he's this good so young. I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. And Giannis's game should age well. It's it's really hard. Like I, the kind of the old old ideas that guys without jump shots, you know, that they, they don't age particularly well. But Giannis is always going to be super long. He won't, you know, be as fast and as agile and all that kind of stuff at some point. But I mean, especially the defense that he's brought. You know, I, th- I think that age thirty Giannis will be one hell of a player. And then you think about all the development, all the skill development that he will do between now and then. Not saying necessarily that the jumper will be there, but he's, you know, I think he has room to grow as a passer, as a ball handler as a as a team defender all those sorts of things and maybe at some point what i mean maybe he ends up being a five like he could be a point mm-hmm. center i i you know the the whole point Giannis thing i think got a little bit overstated just with how partially because jason kidd ran a terrible offense but <laughs> Giannis having a lot of those skills and being a you know even, even though he isn't necessarily like rigidly the point guard this year he's still putting up 
32% usage. So like, I mean, that's, that's big. That's, it's, it's an important number. So I think you might be right. And that kind of goes along with the idea of, okay, how long do you want to like, talk about with Indiana with Thad Young and, and Bodanovich, but it's also true with Chris Middleton. And I was going to say Brooke, but Brooke is more about what he wants at, at the prices that they can offer. But, you know, Malcolm Brogdon and, and Miritich or Ilyasova is just, how long do you want this to be the group? Let's say you think Giannis is going to come back, you know, like, do you want to mark a transition and do you have enough leverage to execute that? Because if you say, hey, Chris, we'd rather have you sign a three year deal he can say no thank you i'm signing a, a four or five year deal otherwise i'm gone <laughs> then you sign chris middleton to a four or five year deal because you cannot replace him right so from the bucks perspective i think the player that really probably swings how long you want to keep this going is brooke lopez i think he is so crucial to their identity his ability to shoot from the perimeter, his ability to be a sound defender in their drop system is is just so important. And if you can't keep him, I think it just radically changes who you are as a team. And then you can look at the other harder choices of which players fit into what we're doing next. Because we know what they're doing now works. And I think that's because of Brooke Lopez's fit. Um from Giannis's perspective, I really don't think he's this cold type of thinker. But if he were, maybe the real way to look at it from his perspective is, wow, this is great. The Bucks are doing great by me. I love being here. You know, I'm going to be here for a couple more years on this contract. They've built me a great supporting cast. They're not necessarily so well positioned to be so good over the future, you know, over what his next contract would be. And maybe he would look at it. I don't think he would. I don't think this is his personality, but maybe some players, and I'm not saying I know him well enough to know whether he fits into this absolutely, but maybe some players would look at it as this has been great. Now I need to be forward looking. I can't just sign my next contract based on what we've done in the past and it doesn't shake out to look as great over the next few years. And so maybe that could, as well as they do, could point to him leaving. Now I think what's far more likely is they perform really well over these next few year, couple years while he's still under contract and he says, this has been great. I'd like to keep it going and stays. Yeah, I mean, his decision is going to be different from some of the other high-profile guys that have done it. You know, I the Bucks are meaningfully better than the LeBron, the early LeBron Cavs ever were. You know, like yes, that they made the NBA Finals, but I didn't. I never thought of those teams as being as deep as you know, as as legit a championship contender as this this year's Bucks team is, and there are reasons to believe that that can continue into the future. And they, I mean, we'll we'll see how they compare with KD's Thunder teams. But there's also a meaningful difference between what Kevin Durant le- what Kevin Durant left for and what might be on the table for Giannis. I mean, Durant, if what his goal was was to you know win a couple titles, win a couple Finals MVPs, maybe more than a couple, depending on what happens from here on out. You know that happened. You know already, and and he could even just this year could do more on that. But something else I wanted to bring up before I forget it on Bledsoe is my read on the situation was that he had more riding on the rest of this season and more specifically the playoffs than a lot of guys because remember he was not good in the playoffs last year. You know he, I, I, if memory serves, he was like I think it was fifty one true shooting. He was like forty four percent from the field. Was a uh, uh, had some really big defense defensive miscues in that series against the Celtics. And that was the first time he'd been in the playoffs since he was a Clipper. And we talked about how those teams were 
very different. And he was at a very different point in his career. He was coming off the bench, all that kind of stuff. So if Bledsoe had another rough playoffs, and there isn't reason to, to believe that he, you know, was that it was going to happen again, but you could see his value have really dropping because then if you're not first on teams lists, whether that's Milwaukee or somebody else, you, the asking price drops pretty precipitously. Yeah, I mean, the playoffs were very rough from Terry Rozier just worked him to the point that we were calling him Drew Bledsoe and not even caring about getting his name right. Um, here is the problem, though. I, I think that makes sense, though, especially if you're the Bucks, you want to know, can this guy translate to the playoffs? He didn't show it last year. Well, if he can't, what else are you going to do? Because your mid-level exception is basically earmarked for Brooke Lopez. And then how are you going to get somebody remotely as good as blood? So I think you, I think the Bucks had to make this call. I think they had to roll the dice of, of, all right, we can get him locked up at a reasonable number and then go about our other business and just got to hope he's good in the playoffs because if he's not well then you're in real tough real tough shape regardless this way at least if he is good you have a, a great path forward now that you have him secured but if he if he was bad in the playoffs and heading into free agency what were the bucks supposed to do do you not resign him who do you get a point guard instead there there's no good option there so if he's bad in the playoffs the bucks are stuck either way well, since the leak year would have turned over, they could have traded for Matthew Delvedova and brought him back. Maybe that would, <laughs> that would have been the solution. But you're, but you're right, especially with the complications related to the mid-level exception. They would have had wiggle room under the tax, but I, I hadn't run the numbers well enough to see. I don't think they would have had cap space. I don't think that would have been a way to mm -hmm. do it. And they don't really have the personnel. And when you consider that basically what they would have had are minimum contracts outside of trades and all that kind of stuff, they don't. They wouldn't have really had the ability to like, let's say, get a two or a three and slide Brogdon down to point guard. Like, I first of all, I think Brogdon is far better in his current role than he would be in that sort of a role. But even that would have been hard, if not impossible, because yeah, being on the Bucks is is awesome, and like that that looks like that. Would would have been a really good team but would a a point guard i don't know let, let's just say like jeremy lynn would he have taken the minimum to be the starting point guard on the bucks next year maybe but also he has specific limitations that would have been a problem and and all that kind of, like it, it, it's the thing of like yeah you could get somebody better than most people could for the minimum but the reason that guy even considered it was because he wasn't good enough to be in the range you're not usually going to get you know david west turning down 20 million to take a minimum with the spurs like that sort of thing doesn't happen very often Right. I'm glad you brought up um, Malcolm Brogdon because th that would have been the alternative. If Bledsoe were bad in the playoffs and could become a free agent, you, the Bucks decided they wanted to move on. Brogdon would have been the answer. But then there is this big hole on the wing at shooting guard, and you're in the same boat there. The Bucks just couldn't – the Bucks can't afford to – to have that big hole on the perimeter in the starting lineup well, and, and just hope for something along, in free agency. The, along those lines, Bledsoe was the only one of that group of free agents that could sign an extension, you know, you, because you have the... the well, uh, Brockton yeah. could, right? Well, he... Actually, I mean, so he could have, I believe he was limited to something like the Josh Richardson style of extension because Are you of, sure that's not enough. It might be, but I, I'm not, I, I'm not sure he would commit to locking that in right now. It might end up being enough, but I mean, if he ends up being the starting two guard in an NBA champion this year, maybe somebody gives him 15 mil a year, you know, like that sort of a thing. And that would, that's, that's a, a compelling question. I, I wonder what he, what he would have taken. Remember Brogdon, while he was a rookie of the year, he is a much older first time free agent and he's a restricted free agent. So yeah, I mean, Brogdon, this is his age 26 season. 
So, I mean, you're getting him basically through the remainder of his prime as a restricted free agent. That's that's one of the benefits. I actually talked about this years ago with Taj Gibson. One of the mm. benefits of drafting older dudes is that you can actually have team control for their prime. And as what you know, like there, there are people who think that it's a lower upside thing, but especially if you're taking them like in the second round, there's an argument to be made there if you think that they could end up being starting caliber or better. So yeah, that, you're right. That maybe that would have been would have been enough. I was always thinking that Brogdon would have his his sights set higher as a third year player. You don't have to deal with the arenas limitations or anything like that. And maybe there maybe the Bucks will be good enough that somebody wants to screw with them. And maybe somebody just thinks like Brogdon is the best answer. But that actually ties in with a kind of a big picture thing. Before we do Go the ahead. big picture thing, I do have one specific thought on that. Absolutely, I'm not convinced he's like. He, that he'd rather be a shooting guard than a point guard. Yeah, you I might don't know see that him better there. But I, I, I mean, I talked to him a little about this, and I walked away thinking, you know what? I think that guy would kind of prefer to be a point guard. I don't know. I can't read his mind. You know, and there's obviously other factors. Uh, what position he'd rather play is not the only thing. He's on a good team. He's in a good situation. There's a lot to consider. Obviously, the money is going to be important. But if there's a team with an offer sheet, a big offer sheet that's offering him a chance to play point guard, I think that would be a positive for that team. And that's just, to me, that's something really cool about the Bucks this year is they have had these four starters heading into free agency. It's not a complete perfect situation for any of them, but they're making it work. They're playing hard. They're playing together. Their chemistry looks awesome. They're putting all those things aside to have a really good year, and I, I think that's been a little underappreciated. On a purely theoretical basis, there are very few players that I've ever dealt with that grew up with the ball in their hands that ever became okay with it not being in their hands when they thought they were good enough to do it. You know, like that, that there is a circumstance where maybe you have to, but mm-hmm. you know, I like even I, I am I'm sure that Ray Allen, as as great as he was in the beginning of his career, becoming more of a, a limited shooter, I'm sure there's part of him that's like, hey, I can still I can still get the basket, I can still be a more high volume guy. And I mean, Ray Allen for a long time was just I mean the greatest shooter in that conversation. And Brogdon isn't of course in that same same thing but that mentality is often there and especially for point guards specifically but so the big picture thing i wanted to ask you about and this will probably be the last big thing we discuss is what happens with the teams that still have space once the major guys make their decisions now we don't know how many slots are going to be taken because a lot of players Kawhi Leonard is a great example of this Kevin Durant is uh, Kyrie they have theoretically if they they could stay with their current team there's a, a good rationale for all of them to do so but if they go somewhere else you take away a slot and don't add one because Boston Toronto and Golden State would not have that capacity so what what I'm kind of grappling with right now for this for this year is there is a lot of money out there and there are teams that have you know max base or or close to it that you know like we talked about the Pacers a little bit the Jazz are in this group Sacramento has less space now depending on what happens with Harrison Barnes but I'm fascinated with by like Dallas Dallas you know how are how are they looking into this you know maybe I don't know Jimmy Butler's from Texas maybe he's interested in in playing there I haven't heard anything to that note that'd be fun it would be. But so how are those teams going at it? And especially because they're in a mix of circumstances. Dallas, again, is a great example here because they their core is very young, but they have good talent. There's a reason to believe that they, if, if Porzingis comes back, that they could be competitive pretty quickly, especially if they got somebody good in the offseason. So how do those teams attack it? Do they go big and then slide down? Or do they do something more like what 
Portland did back in 2015 when they signed Al Farouk Aminu, where you go, hey, we're probably not going to get Jimmy Butler. We're probably not going to, all, all those types of guys. We might be able to get some real value or at least make an offer that is compelling to the best of the rest and end up with a better overall haul than we would if we're kind of picking out the guys that are available late. Yeah, I think... You know, you can go team by team. That's a very interesting question. I, I don't think there's like a trend here. I really think this is a team by team decision, but it's going to be an interesting decision for a lot of teams. The Mavericks, I think they basically have to go get the next guys. They can't roll it over because part of the reason you have this cap space is Porzingis's cap hold will be lower than his eventually eventual salary. He'll be on a big, maybe max contract. Uh, Donjic eventually will get paid. I mean, you have some leeway with him. But but Porzingis will be on that big contract. You, I think you got to spend the money this year, and you know, sure, shoot for the stars first. But they're a team that's going to have to more quickly move on to make sure you get good players, and maybe it'll work out even better for Dallas to not get a star. You could make a case that once you have Doncic and Porzingis, it's more important to get good supporting talent. And so if you get those really good role players, that could work out better for Dallas. Uh, I'd love to see Jimmy Butler on that team, though. I think that would be very fun and fascinating. Along the lines of what you said, I'll, I'll add in that if they want to retain Maxi Kleba and Dorian Finney-Smith, those are two other guys that have lower mm-hmm. cap holds than their eventual salaries should Dallas end up retaining them. I fully expect them to retain Kleba in particular, and Finney-Smith has, has been a nice part of their team. And forwards, whether they end up being starting caliber or not, are just valuable. You know, like that. And, and mm-hmm. Mark Cuban, it seems like he's willing to pay. So, and and Doncic is, you know, he's a few seasons away from even being extension eligible. So they will have to, you know, like he will be on his big contract, assuming Porzingis signs a long long term one this summer, which I fully expect. You know, those guys will both get paid. They will be paid in the same window. But I think that will be be doable for them. And yeah, and yeah, really, how some of these teams pivot will be extremely important. And Danny Green is is going to be like a, a big part of, of this conversation as a guy who's older but still could really help a team that thinks they're closer. And so self-identification, you brought up how this is team by team, and I completely agree with you. And a big part of that is because I've used the phrase for years of the timetable of contention. You know, like, so where are you in the success cycle? Like Indiana, you're probably saying, hey, we're, we're going to be better or closer. So then that could lead to them retaining the guys they already have. Utah is more complicated because Gobert is, I think Gobert is probably close to the peak of his powers. Mitchell's still making his way up. So they, they probably have a little bit more time with it, but Joe Ingles is aging, you know, some of these other guys are too. So how they approach that and you go, okay, so how is Danny Green, you know, he's he's going to be, I think, 32 this summer. Thad Young's going to be 31. Are those guys, you know, are they too old for you? Are they in line if they shine like a two-year contract? And what I love the most in an open offseason, which is what we're getting into, is finding out how the the teams and the players make these decisions, because each player is only going to end up one place, and each team is only going to end up using their space one way. But they have a lot of different options, a lot of different ways to get from A to whatever the B ends up being. Yeah. Um, One other team to bring up that's going to face this is apparently now the the Hawks. Uh, I think it was Sam Amick at The Athletic had a report that the Hawks are going to try and make some long shot chases for the star free agents. And sure, if you can get Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard, cool. Like you get that player and you figure it out. Whatever. Great. But where do, where's the line? Where 
where because that's a team that could roll it over. They don't need they're not like Dallas where I think they need to do it. And the other complication with Dallas is the Mavericks have traded all these first round picks that that there's no upside in just being patient of, well, okay, maybe we'll be bad, but keep our keep our pick. Like you gotta you gotta try to be good. The Hawks can be patient. They're such a young team that they could end up with a a good pick again in 2020 if they don't sign some veterans. I, again, if you get Durant or Kawhi, great. But where's the line? Do you want Jimmy Butler? Do you want to pay him all that money if you're the Hawks? It'll fast track where you're going, but that that definitely means no no high no lottery pick again, and it limits what you can add later. That, to me, is very interesting where the line's going to be for Atlanta. It was surprising to see that, considering they seemed like a logical team to to push it forward. What I'm guessing Travis Schlenk ends up doing is not as extreme as a Stars and Scrubs approach, but something more along those lines. And what I mean by that is, you aim high, you don't expect to get any of those guys, and if you do, great. And if you don't, then you're looking not necessarily for, you know, like just saving your space and rolling the the more extreme versions of that of like, you know, trading for Jamal Crawford to get a first round pick, all those types of things. It could also be building the asset base if you think that guys are undervalued. And I could imagine Schlenk, especially because they'll have some roster flexibility, I could see Schlenk doing something like that. Like, see, you see a player... I'm trying to think. The problem, though, is there aren't that many young, unrestricted free agents because that's the easiest thing to do with. It's kind of, in a lot of times, it's harder to do with restricted guys because if you sign them to a reasonable contract, that reasonable contract will get matched. So, you know, it's it's harder to, to pull that with Kelly Oubre, let's say, than to do it with, theoretically, Julius Randle. But Julius Randle, I don't think he fits particularly well with what Atlanta wants to do. But I could see Schlenk going in that direction of, I mean, this is really what the Nene test when, when Amino Hassan and I created it, what it was about was signing somebody to a contract that even if they're not right for you, you can still move them to somebody else at a point that is convenient. And like Spencer, this is to me why the Spencer Dinwiddie extension was such a good deal for Brooklyn, is that they can play this both ways. If they want to keep him, Dinwiddie on that price, not a problem whatsoever. And if something comes up, you know, D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, that's your future. They need that 10.6 or whatever it is elsewhere. They could move him. Not a problem at all. And that that's kind of the, the target for me with a team like Atlanta is if you can get guys that you're happy with and maybe they can help you be a little bit more competitive and all that kind of stuff, sure, by all means, do it. But if you can't, then you need to be patient and, and, bar, and you know, dumpster dive, all that kind of stuff. Like, that's just where you need to be. I agree. Um, they also might not do it. <laughs> right, right. So especially from the ownership level, sometimes you get impatience. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and maybe even, you know, sometimes from the management level, too. That's not to say yeah, that I mean, Schlenk himself couldn't decide to do this. He could definitely say, yeah. veer into Hennigan er- territory. I mean, I don't know how much of a leash he has. So that could happen. Right. And also, that could be the right move. We, like, mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler. I'll just use him as an example. The Hawks could say, you know what? No, we don't want to commit all this money to Jimmy Butler at his age based on where we are in our growth curve. And then Trey Young has looked awesome lately. He might break out next year and the Hawks could be like pretty good. And they might be thinking, dang, if only we had signed Jimmy Butler when we could have, like he would have been the missing piece to make us a really good team. We were ready earlier than we thought we'd be like, even though I agree with you that the the right strategy – Jimmy Butler is like near the line, but the right strategy is to chase the big stars and then if you can't roll it over, maybe there's somebody in that next tier that they would regret not signing. 
Yeah, that's that's a good point, and it's especially strong because of how terrible the 2020 class is in terms of unrestricted free agents. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll rattle through this a little bit. So at point guard, Kyle Lowry, who will be in his mid-30s at that point, Conley will have an ETO. I mean, we'll see how he how he's feeling on that. I'm guessing he'll pick up that. You know, he'll he'll play on that ETO. You know, he won't choose to become a free agent. Then it gets it gets dicey after that. Then it, on the wing, Demar Rosen has a player option. Gallinari, both those guys are will be in their early 30s at that point. Otto Porter has a player option. He'll be in his late 20s. We'll see what Harrison Barnes does. He has an option this year. And then basically, you're out of starting caliber unrestricted free agents. You know, we'll see. Maybe if a team feels Eric Gordon or Joe Harris, you know, those types of guys. But again, we're, we're more on the fringes of starting. And then at the big man spots, it, it's, it's dicey there too. I mean, Draymond Green, maybe Al Horford, depending on what he ends up doing. Jeremy Grant might end up getting paid. LaMarcus has a partial guarantee, which means that he won't be a free agent unless the Spurs do, or whoever doesn't think that he's a value in that contract. I expect that he will be there. And then another guy who I wanted to talk with you about a little bit, Andre Drummond's going to have a big decision to make because he will have a, a very lucrative player option for for that twenty for that twenty 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 one season, and you know he, his season is is a, a point of a contention. You know how it's been with De- Detroit; they're fighting for a playoff berth. But he has to choose between being a free agent in twenty twenty one and making twenty eight point eight million in the interim, or being a free agent in that genuinely awful class. Did you say Anthony Davis? Uh, oh no, I, I didn't. Okay, I just want to make sure we point <laughs> yeah. out that Anthony Davis. Yeah, Anthony Davis. Crazy. He's the one exception. Sure, and theoretically, like if any guys who sign a one plus one, like Kevin Durant or something like that, those guys can get added in this class. I just don't expect many of them to do so. The, the weird thing is, usually we look at free agent classes, and usually they get worse because guys sign extensions, and usually a free agent class looks worse. Uh, uh, as it gets closer. This one, I think that maybe there's some hope like, ugh, maybe somebody emerges, maybe this gets better, but ugh, yes. Uh, Andre Drummond, yeah, I don't know what he's going to do with that option. Um, That's going to be a pretty close call, I think. He's up and down. He's very good when he's focused, uh, but is also prone to some laziness and bad shots, not being as locked in as he should be defensively. Uh, but he's also somebody I've said his whole career can't help but be pretty good. He's so big and athletic and no matter where, what he's, even in his bad games, he can't help but make some positive contributions. He's always a good rebounder. Uh, he gets a lot of high efficiency putback looks based on just that. He just can't help but be pretty good. But his ceiling is something he doesn't always get close enough to. That sounds like a, that, that's a fair description in my, in my eyes. And I mean, Drummond, I think he'll be 27 at that point. So, I mean, he'll be, you know, we'll have an idea of what he is as a player. You won't, you won't really expect too much growth from that point. And, and something that I'm trying to remember who, whose analysis I'm relying on here, though it's been from plenty of people that rebounding, because it's, you know, one of those, more phys- it was KP, one of those four physically based things generally doesn't age particularly well. You know, like often a great rebounder can stay a very, very good rebounder. We've seen that with DeAndre Jordan and other stuff, but those, you know, it, it is something that dissipates because what an, a player's prime is really is the decline in athleticism being over 
come by skill development and, you know, knowledge and the mental game getting better until there aren't as many gains there. And then that's when a player is getting post-prime is that there, there isn't as much for them to do there. And the, the physical deterioration kind of out, outpaces it. So Drummond is, you know, I could, I could definitely see if he has a good season next year, just being like, Hey, let's, let's lock it in. Let's just get it done. Whether that's with Detroit or someone else. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what Kevin Pelton found, but I have this in my head that maybe there's something like really extreme, like on average or a, a lot of players or something like this, that their best rebounding season is their rookie year, which is just sounds kind of incredible, but maybe is how it is with rebounding. I would be very scared to give Andre Drummond a huge contract for his next contract to be that team that is probably what he's going to get. I mean, he's been an all-star. He's, he's on the fringe of it, you know, annually. His next contract is probably going to be very big and based on how good – it's probably going to be about in line with based on how good he is right now. And I'm just not sure how he's going to age. I'm also not sure that contract, whether it will be with Detroit or not. There's so much that, that could change between now and then. But I do wonder – and this is wondering. I'm not – I have no real inside knowledge of this. But how he feel he was the, the face of the franchise until they got Blake Griffin and how he feels about not really being that anymore. Um because this is Blake Griffin's team in Detroit now, and you know, maybe Blake Griffin won't be here at that point. Um, there's, there's so much that could change with his free agency, but I, I do wonder how he and the Pistons feel about each other now. You brought up, and and this is such a crazy thing with that 2020 class, because yeah, the, the, there is uh, the potential for strong restricted free agents, but the problem there is that good restricted free agents don't change teams, <laughs> is that there aren't that many players from what I'm looking at in the 2020 offseason that could take those those kind of huge steps up. Like there are players, absolutely, like Joe Harris is a good example here, that can establish what they are. Maybe Gordon Hayward, I think he'll pick up that player option, but maybe he looks a, more like Gordon Hayward next year. And so then, then that makes makes the class look a lot better. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, like Iguodala or Etwan Moore or Fred Van Vliet, you know, like they're not bad players by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But like what you're always wondering, and this is so fun with, with like, let's say draft guys is there are always going to be players like, like John Morant or something that, that step up. But these, in terms of unrestricted free agents, these guys are all pretty much known commodities. I like, I'm not sitting here going, I, I, it's possible, but I don't expect Tony Snell to set the world on fire next year. <laughs> so like the, and that's hard. Like, so if I'm sitting there as a team, depending on circumstance, and that's why you always look at it from that perspective, I would be more willing to not not only just sign guys, you know, like have a, have a lower threshold this year for the 2019 offseason, but also in trades, I would be more comfortable taking on 2020-21 money than I think some of them are going to be because it's like, ooh, it's long-term money. Who knows? You know, the mystery box, it could even be a boat. Like that sort of a thing is there, is real. But teams that properly calibrate where like where the league is going generally get the best value. Yeah. Uh, on the other side, a team that's usually pretty good at this, the Heat are talking up opening two max slots in 2020. Why? And I'll, I, mean, I think the reason why might just be to sell tickets. Like Pat Riley did this interview very clearly right as their season ticket renewal drive was going. And like that builds optimism. Not every fan is looking at it as deeply as we are of who are going to be the free agents and what will it take for the Heat actually to open up that much cap space. They know that when the Heat had big cap space like that, they got – LeBron, Wade, and Bosch, and look how great that was, and I think it drives optimism, and maybe that's the only reason why, but if the Heat are really thinking about doing that, why? 
and especially because I would my intuition is that their overall situation wouldn't be good enough to get Anthony Davis. Like maybe there, there's a shot there. Like I'm not going to write off Miami as being a potential Anthony Davis destination. If he does not end up on a team where I'm convinced he's going to resign like Miami, they they'll have Josh Richardson. They'll have, you know, Pat Riley still there after 2010. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just not. And so there is that possibility, but a lot of times what the the allure of cap space does is it also gives a front office and ownership, however you want to divvy that up, cover to not spend money in the interim. Because it's, mm. it's, it's not only, I, I think you're right that season tickets are a part of it, but I also think it's, hey, we don't want to spend money on free agents this summer because that's going to tie up our space for next year. Like that was, you know, the Knicks signing Mario Hazonia to a one year, most of the mid-level exception contract was a good example of this. And like Knicks, I was, I ripped that move and Knicks fans are like, oh, well, we didn't want to spend the space. I'm like, you could have structured this differently so that you didn't have to. And so it, it provides cover for owners that don't want to spend long term money or don't want to maybe maybe in their case they don't want to use their full middle level exception. And you know, like Miami is a shockingly expensive team for what they are. And that was due to their bizarre twenty seventeen offseason. At some point in my life I will write another article on just how weird that is in the scope of what everybody else did that year, that they spent so much money for on such long term contracts that year. But I mean they're you know they're dealing with the luxury tax or close to it over the next couple of years when they're a fringe playoff team. I'm looking up now. Their their 2017 offseason, I think I gave them a decent grade because they had traded those two first-round picks for Goran Dragos. I'm not surprised how it's worked out at all. But I think it gets overlooked that if they didn't re-sign those guys, they weren't in position to do anything else. And then you'd have a bad team that owed its draft picks unprotected elsewhere, and it'd be like the Brooklyn Nets again. So I, I think they, they made some bad choices, but I think the alternatives at that point were also very likely to turn out bad. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, so was that, that would have been the, the 2018 draft. Was that the pick that they had? It was 18 and 21. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah, it's been, it's been a little while. So I'm not, I'm not as rock solid on that. I will look up my, my grade at some point on that. But yeah. And and that gets into something that that you and I try to talk about. It makes us. I like to think it makes us better at our jobs. Is the there even if there is like let's say a quote unquote right thing or something like that, understanding the pressures that are involved for an organization from the pressure that an owner puts on a team. You know, like I, I think that was a part of like there have been numerous teams that have kind of rushed to rebuild. I mean, New Orleans is probably among the best examples of this. You know, like when they Anthony Davis, hey, he's really freaking good. Let's let's be good right now as opposed to playing the slow game and you know processing it up a little bit. And granted, Davis also might have been so good that you couldn't have done all of that kind of stuff. It would have been hard to be awful with Anthony Davis because he's amazing. But so you have all these things. And so where when you're analyzing it, it's not about giving them credit necessarily for something, especially if they decided on a faulty rationale. But it, it, it does lead to an improved projection and understanding of where the league is going to go. And I think that's a part of why we started doing the mock-off season. Yeah, I mean, it's very, that exercise is so helpful to me for understanding things. Uh, with with the Heat, I did look it up. I gave them, a in 2017, a C+. Plus. Uh, they owed the, top, the 2018 pick, which was top seven protected. They owed the 2021 pick. And they also had Tyler Johnson's 
salary set to you know skyrocket up above 19 million yeah the and, next and year. they couldn't have and they couldn't have structured his contract differently because that was something they fixed in the more recent CBA mm-hmm. was giving the team the ability to choose the structure back right. then you had to do kind of like what happened with theoretically if the Knicks had matched on Jeremy Lin or the rocket or not the rockets the who had who had Omar Ashik um anyway that though like those deals you had to have the escalations in those contracts and so that was a big part of what led Miami to do what they did because they knew that space was evaporating anyway right and so if in an alternate universe where they let James Johnson Dion Waiters Kelly Olynyk go and those have all turned out to be bad contracts but but if they let all those guys go um you know they end up keep if they let Wayne Ellington go they end up keeping him we might be still talking about man, the Heat really are in a terrible spot. They they gave up their draft pick. They got to give up their 2021 draft pick again. Their their talent is bad. They've got Tyler Johnson who's way overpaid. They're in a terrible spot. We could be having the same conversation with just different pieces involved. And remember that the I mean, granted, there are a million things that could have gone differently, but the guy they were going after was Gordon Hayward. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we, it, yeah. It's not in like a different it's, universe. It's, it's not like that man, contract is working out Hayward. super well for them. So I'll read what I I, I pulled it. What I wrote was C minus. While they were largely trapped after the big guys passed, this is a low ceiling team to commit to as deeply as Riley did. Bam pick seems pretty good, which is actually still kind of how I feel about Bam. It's crazy how he has all these highlights. I'm like, I still like him, but I don't know. I don't still don't know exactly what he is. Yeah, I've always been a little bit lower on him than the consensus that they dislike him. I mean, they think he's a solid piece of their core. He's impressed me more than he did coming in the draft. But yeah, beyond his dunks, I don't know. And if you want to know how these things changed, the next team after Miami alphabetically was the Milwaukee Bucks, who I gave a D plus, And now they're <laughs> the best team in the East. That's the way these things go. Granted, yeah. they didn't do any of that work that season. <laughs> they, that that right. year, they drafted right. DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown, re-signed Tony Snell. So yeah, that wasn't a great offseason. Yeah. Still plenty more to talk about with Dan Feldman, but first a message from our friends at betonline.ag. This is a wonderful time of year in terms of sports. We're getting really, really close to March Madness. Conference tournaments are also even closer around the corner in college basketball and the NBA in full swing, lots of games each day. And so you can check it out. I've become really interested in in in-game betting. So that means if you get a feel for where things are going, or you can even do like a a first half wager. If you you think you have a better feel on that than where the overall game is going to go, you can even do first quarter most of the time. And it's fun. It's a, a way to engage whether it's a game you are going to watch anyway, or maybe you're sitting there going, ah, you know, there's, there's only one on right now. I don't particularly care about the teams, but maybe you have a feel for it. So you can you can check that out. And what you do is you use the Podcast One promo code at betonline.ag. And why you do that is you get a 50% sign-up bonus, which is awesome. Also tells them, of course, that you came from us. So go to betonline.ag, use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Also have a message from TrueCar. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you cannot put a price tag on your stories, now with TrueCar, you can at least find out what your car is worth whether when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof, watch as they bump up your value. High mileage, you already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you are finished, you will get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out 
or trade in. So when you are ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True Cash offer not available in all states. I was thinking about executive of the year recently, and I don't know. I, I think Masai Ujiri should win it by a lot. I don't see anybody close, and but you, it's a three-person ballot, and who else deserves to be on it? And I was thinking about Horst with the Bucks. I mean, he did. Uh, you know, Brooke Lopez was a great signing hire, and Budenholzer was great. But most of the Bucks' best work came earlier, and that was mostly just drafting Giannis. Yeah, and they got, you know, Bledsoe Middleton. and Middleton a long sure. time before in deals that I think look good now. But yeah, I, Horst would definitely be on my list. Also, I think the Mirrors trade, you know, they didn't yeah. give up a whole lot to make that happen it, for four seconds, but only two of them were particularly good. And the salary was was filler. So yeah, I think Horst would probably be on my ballot there. I'm trying to think about who else. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, there are so many teams because there was so little flexibility that didn't really do a lot. I would probably have Lawrence Frank on mine as well. And it's so weird to do that for a team that, that got worse during the year, but doing so and building the asset base. But I'm guessing who will probably get on that would be Donnie Nelson because drafting Luca, getting Porzingis, you know, like I could, even though I was more low on, on that trade, I could see the narrative being there. And you could even see some conversation for Vlade because something that happens at, uh, this is more common with coach of the year than executive of the year. But whenever a team dramatically exceeds expectations, the shine goes to the people who are awards eligible. Yeah. Uh, so you could see the, the nuggets with that. And I, I could see Elton Brand getting consideration he doesn't deserve because, oh man, he went out and got Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler. He got two stars and they, they went from not having those stars to having them. And it's so easy to forget about the draft picks and the other solid players given up. That's especially actually, that's actually picks, something I want to bring up. Picks. Knowing yeah. what we know now, <laughs> if they could have not done the Butler trade and still mm-hmm. done the Tobias Harris trade. I knew that'd be the question. They would be in such a good spot. It's wild. Like, I mean, I was supportive of, as memory serves, I was supportive of the Butler trade, you know, like as much as I love Robert Covington and I'm more ambivalent on charts than most, but the, I mean, think about what that, so that team would be Reddick, Simmons, Covington, Harris, and Embiid with Sharic as the sixth man. Yeah. That's nasty. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, they, they had the, the reason, part of the reason I like the, the Butler trade is because they still had the tools, including Markel Fultz and other draft picks, to go out and get additional depth. And then, I mean, Tobias Harris to some degree is that, but he's also a was consolidation. Uh, they, I think they'd be more well-rounded if they hadn't made that Butler trade. But that's only once you know you can get Tobias, and I'm not sure it was reasonable to know at that point. Maybe it was. Maybe they should have known that that they could get somebody like Tobias. But at the based on what the moves they had actually made, I think the Butler trade made sense for them at the time. Yeah, and it, it, it parallels to a point, uh, something that I, I get fixated on every once in a while, which is when a team frantically ducks underneath the luxury tax early in the offseason and then ends up making a move that you know completely <laughs> changed their books anyway. And you, you they couldn't have known, but it's another reason of like, you know, if, 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 if you think it's not right. That said, something important that Philly has gotten from this year, if the Jimmy Butler thing doesn't work out, was at least they learned that when he was still on this contract. You know, like it's, yeah. it's a lot better to, like th- this goes back, like the, the Dwight Howard thing is another 
another interesting example of this that nobody ever thinks of it this way. But knowing that that experiment didn't work instead of giving him a four-year contract, which would have been so disastrous for the Lakers as things turned out, like in some ways the Lakers actually, you know, like they 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 kind of got fortunate in, in a specific way. They still gave up a ton to make it happen and all that kind of stuff. But there is some something to be said for an experiment crashing and burning when you can get out of it without long-term impact. I just got to make it very clear that we should not give the Lakers any credit for that because they were going all out to resign him. Yes. They had billboards. They were doing everything they <laughs> yeah, could to that's, resign him. That's true. Like as <laughs> much as I'm saying it was a disaster and it shouldn't have, it should have continued. They wanted it to. <laughs> right. The, the 76ers, I could very, I mean, I don't know what they'll do and we don't, it's this experiment still ongoing. Like they, Jimmy Butler and the 76ers are continuing to learn about each other and will throughout the playoffs. Even if it hasn't gone as well as maybe we would have thought going in or hoped going in this is not this book isn't written but i wouldn't be surprised if by the summer they're like yeah we would want to keep jimmy butler but we're not so desperate to do it that we'll offer him the full max we'll make this offer and if it's enough great and if he moves on that's okay too that's kind of where i think it'll end up the lakers were doing everything they could to keep dwight howard very true anything else you want to discuss i mean we've we've covered a lot of ground already (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think we we hit on the big stuff. Oh, I, I have one I want to ask you. If this will maybe yeah. get you in trouble, but I don't give. I, I love I don't trouble. Really care. If it were your choice, for whatever reason, you had the you had the control to pick the final three teams in the Eastern Conference playoffs and the final two teams in the Western Conference playoffs. Who would you want and why? Hmm. So in the West, you know, part of me want part of me wants to say Warriors Lakers because. I think, you know, LeBron can put, if, if LeBron gets his team that far, you know, which means that they're probably going to be the seventh seed to avoid the Warriors earlier. If they can build up that momentum, have the role players get that confidence of a playoff run. You know, I do wonder what, what LeBron against the Warriors again would look like. I think that would be a, a very, fun, potentially an interesting match. Another Warriors might just sweep them, uh, and maybe I should just be content to let that play out as an early potential early round matchup. That could be the first round. You have Warriors Lakers as the one eight. That'd be fine too. Uh but yeah, that that's kind of the matchup personally. I want to see. I really like watching the Nuggets, though. If it ends up Warriors Nuggets, that'd be fantastic. I enjoy watching the Thunder. If it's Warriors Thunder, that'd be fantastic. Uh, in these, you said final three, like so, picking three of the final four. Well, well, no, no. So what what I mean by this is the last playoff spot. So basically, who do you want is the seven and eight in the West, and then the six, seven, eight in the oh, East? Oh, so I just answered a completely different question of like, who do I want to see in the Western Conference Finals? Yes. Who, but but I guess it worked out in the West. I'm glad I didn't do that in the East. So in the West, yeah, I do want to see Warriors Lakers. That's the first round matchup I want to see. So you want, so Lakers is the eight. Who do who would you like as the seven? The Kings are my favorite team to watch in the league. Um, Can you imagine how crazy that series would be? Like th- those teams would be scoring in the one thirties. Kings Nuggets. Kings Nuggets. Yeah, that that'd be great. Uh, I also I enjoy the Clippers less after the Tobias trade. I think they're kind of settling into not quite as appealing. I I will the team I don't want just from a personal level is the Spurs. They're the team I personally enjoy watching the least of that group. 
Um, and that's not a knock on them. It's just how entertaining those other teams have been. Some of my very favorite teams in the league to watch this year. Number one is the Kings. Number two might be the Lakers just with all their drama and everything going on. Uh, and so that's just unfortunate for the Spurs in those rankings. But, but yes, my one eight would be Warriors, Lakers, two seven beat Nuggets, Kings in the East. So the final three, I mean, just from my standpoint, I'd want it to be the Pistons because then I can go cover playoff games in person. Uh, but I think they'd get swept by the Bucks, max out at five games against the Raptors. Um, otherwise, I don't care. Those teams are all miserable. <laughs> Do you have a preference between those bottom teams in the East? Like, who cares? The Nets are my favorite of the group to watch. Oh, I wasn't including that. I mean, I thought you said bottom three, so I was including them as the six. They're the six. Like, okay, so I was talking so like six, seven, in. eight. Yeah. Uh, oh, I can't count. Okay, yeah. well, yeah. So, the so then, they're, so they're, so you have them as the six. Yeah, I'm just kind of. God, I guess that race is a little. Now I'm looking at it, that race is a little closer than I thought. Yeah, I mean, the, the Pistons and Magic are tied in the wins column. They are not tied in the loss column. But yeah, and then. So well, I just met with the Nets. The Nets aren't so much at yeah. What I'm what I'm sitting. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, sorry. Um, what what I was sitting there thinking about is I and people of Charlotte earmuffs. I do not want to see Kemba Walker resign with the Hornets. I I do not want that. And so my instinct is that the Hornets missing the playoffs makes that more likely. And so that means I don't want the Hornets to make the playoffs. And in terms of who gets the spots, so that would mean Nets are in. I've enjoyed the Magic over the last couple months. They've been playing really good defense. They're a young team. And right now they're winning enough that I don't think they can, you know, maybe because it's Orlando, they can, they can jump, they could jump in the lottery. And I think that would actually be best for them, but I don't know. So they're doing that, but really outside of, outside of Brooklyn making it and the Hornets not for various reasons, I don't particularly care, especially because a lot of those teams, you know, the Pistons, Magic to an extent, Heat, it's not really going to affect their planning. You know, like this isn't a, a situation well, where I, I guess for Orlando it would because that's of the one, and yeah. everything else. But like the Pistons are pretty much set. The Hornets are going to do what they're going to do. But, you know, it depends on what Kemba chooses. Miami's locked in basically to their roster. So it doesn't matter as much as like in the West where, you know, the Lakers missing the playoffs could have some really big impacts. The Kings making it could and all the, the some of those types of moves. So before I hear your West picks, you've you've convinced me on another East team on the third East team. I want to see Nets Pistons, and you've convinced me on the third. It's the Hornets because I would like Kemba Walker to stay in Charlotte. If that, I mean, number one, what I want is Kemba Walker to do what he wants to do. But if in the magical world I got to pick what he would want to do, I like that there's a player who just wants to stay with his, you know, small market not willing to pay the luxury tax, not really going anywhere great necessarily franchise and just putting it on his back and doing whatever he can to get them as far as he can. I think, you know, if you have Kemba Walker, I think their goal has kind of been, you know, they're not thinking championship. They're not, I'm not even sure if it's specific goals as much as it's, let's just get as far as we can. We have this good player who's going to wind up, especially if he stays and maybe is already the best player in the greatest player, I don't know if he's the best at his peak, but the greatest player in franchise history, combining his longevity. Like, I just love the idea that there's a player out there who has that role. And if if Kemba Walker is happy doing that, I enjoy watching it. And the results, you have to grade them on the scale that they are. And so him getting the Hornets into the playoffs, I think, would be an achievement. Him sticking it out with the Hornets and trying to continue just to even make the playoffs, uh, maybe win a series at some point. If he does that, I think that's in itself a noteworthy achievement, something we can appreciate. And so I'd like to see that continue to 
to keep going. So I, I guess mine would be Nets, Pistons, Hornets. The logic you used is sound. I just wish it was with a player I enjoyed watching less. because, And especially because Kemba Walker, as a point guard, it's getting more convoluted for a bunch of reasons. But it's a talent distribution position, and I would just love to see him play with great talent. You know, even if it's only for a couple of years, you know, whatever. There are a bunch of different scenarios where he could go good places, though being a little bit lower in the pecking order is going to make it hard for him. Because, you know, yeah, there's a possibility that the Knicks have a spot open. There's a possibility they don't. All those sorts of things. But I like I like it when those types of guys get the get the chance to succeed. And but he can define if he stays with Hornet the Hornets, he's defining what he would define as success in a sure. different way. And and if I'm happy as long as he, he can choose whatever he wants, and I will not malign it for anything other than selfish purposes. Yes, yeah, se- even even selfishly, I, I like the idea of him staying in Charlotte. I was going to try to pick a player that I would rather I would have rather had seen stay there, and it just would have caused problems. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, but well, I, you would love James Harden to be that guy instead because that. Because well, no, I, no, it. I was thinking of DeRozan. Oh yeah, that's, that's the perfect. more ex- that's, that's the more extreme example of that. Like, yeah, let's just give Demar Derozan. Let's give Derozan a team, and, and I like him on a personal level quite a bit. Which is, I always find so funny when people are like, "Oh, you hate Demar Derozan." It's like it just so happens that a lot of the players whose games I don't enjoy watching are people who I who I like. I, I covered that team USA when he and and Kyle Lowry were there, and that that was also with all the Kevin Durant drama and everything else, but. I just don't particularly enjoy watching him play basketball most of the time. Other than, like, and what's crazy about DeRozan is he has some of, like, like the most amazing finishes of anybody in the league. So he has those moments. Like, the, the he had that beautiful spinning layup, of, I think it was about a week ago. He has yeah. some of the best dunk attempts I've ever seen in person. <laughs> And he's had some of some really nice dunks as well, but just like the the day in day out kind of grinding. Like for me, the difference between him and Harden is that I really appreciate passing artistry. I actually got mad. Somebody made a thing about like, oh, you know, like you don't want to watch the film on Harden. I'm like, Harden is one of the best pick and roll passers in the history of the NBA, and you can watch that and hate the rest of it, you know watching the rest of his game. But you have to give credit where credit is due. I I love watching Harden play. I enjoy him hunting for fouls. The craft of it. The only part I don't like is just watching the free throws themselves personally like i understand that you can't enjoy the craft of him getting drawing the fouls without also having the free throws there i understand that's how it works but i just personally don't enjoy the stoppage of him actually shooting the free throws but as soon as he gets back to trying to draw the fouls love it yeah it is kind of kind of perversely entertaining i mean because with him and i think lou williams is more the artiste to me like lou williams mm-hmm. just like developing new ways and just getting every single player who is under the age of 22 <laughs> to bite on a pump fake the first time he ever sees them is kind of joyous like i i it, i enjoy the experience of watching and who knows if it'll be with the clippers or somebody else next year watch lou williams teams in the first month of the season because he just gets everybody and it's pretty great <laughs> It's pretty great. And then eventually they uh, get get some parts of it. That said, that Rockets Thunder series when he and when Lou and Harden were on the same team was one of the worst like least enjoyable viewing experiences of my basketball life. And that was I think in the early days of the Twitter NBA show. And so Nate and I actually did a couple of those games and it was just I was just belligerent. <laughs> so so who do you want to see in the West? Okay. So in the West, god, the, the Lakers are just the the elephant in the room because but I'd rather see them in than out because they're they're a fascinating team. I think they still have a high ceiling. And the kind of like, oh, it'd be like like seeing that 
that team and basketball media just implode on itself if they miss the playoffs would be entertaining. I don't think it would be fulfilling. It would be empty calories. And I don't it, think it, it really yeah. it really changes their outlook in the offseason or anything like that. They still want to trade everybody either way. So it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't make those, those decisions particularly clearer. So I'm going to go with the Lakers. I would probably go with the Lakers as the seven, just because that opens the door for more possibilities. There's a chance that they get knocked out in the first round, but like I don't think they beat the Warriors. They could give the Warriors a series, but I don't think they beat them. So that makes this the the two, three, six, seven side a lot more chaotic and I love chaos. I think that chaos is a really makes the playoffs more dynamic. So if we put that as a constraint, then the eight seed, I'll go with Sack. The Kings and Warriors have played a series of intensely entertaining games this year. It would be mm-hmm. a wonderful story for the league to see Sacramento do it. And the, you, you, you get the, like, the budding of a potential rivalry of sorts in Northern California. The teams are not too far apart geographically. And the Warriors, I mean, there's a distinct chance that the Warriors are a weaker team next season than they are this season. And while I don't think the Kings are going to, like, pass them or anything, that will be a closer thing. And so you kind of set the groundwork for a bunch of different things at the same time. And I, like, as you said, I enjoy watching the Kings more than I enjoy watching just about any of the other teams there. So like San Antonio, like a San Antonio Warriors series would be of very little interest to me. Clippers, very little as well, especially now that they don't have Tobias anymore. So yeah, I mean, there, I mean, if, if we were extending it more and I could say Dallas, maybe that, but they're too far out now. Yeah, they're too far out, I think. Yeah, if they had won, if they were like, let's say they were 30 and 32 like the Lakers are, I would probably pick them. It'd be between them and the Kings just because the arc of Luka and the possibility of them making it and then getting Porzingis back next year, like that would be really cool. But the Kings are a wonderful story. I don't, I don't need to take them out of it. If the Mavericks made somehow a long shot you know, run and got into playoff contention. We'll get ready for all the talk of Porzingis coming back this year. And it is a possibility. I mean, I, I don't really know. But I also don't think they're actually trying to win. No, I don't either. <laughs> so well, and, and, and that gets into that would be a very improbable like, run. I mean, you the magic the Mavericks have well, the magic of weird incentives too. But the Mavericks with it's it's so fun because with the lottery reform. Moving down in the in the lottery does give you a meaningfully better chance of keeping your pick because it's you know it's top five protected. They're they're now doing the lottery for the top four, and all that you really lose is the embarrassment of giving a team that is in a different conference a better pick. How much that matters to Mark Cuban, how much that matters to Johnny Nelson is like. They can never answer that question, but I would love to hear it because I would argue as a ruthless pragmatist that not necessarily like overtly tanking, like sitting Luca the rest of the year or anything stupid like that, but making your odds better, even if it leads to the possibility of giving Atlanta a better, a better option. I'm cool with that. I don't care. I mean, I, but based on the rules in place, I think that's the wise move for the Mavericks. I just don't like that there are rules in place that incentivize the Mavericks to just not care about so many remaining games and so many teams to not care about remaining games. So, you know, we'll get caught up in this Eastern Conference playoff race and the Western Conference playoff race. There'll be plenty of really good games to keep our attention the rest of the year. But, man, between the Hawks, Bulls, Cavs, Knicks, Suns, Grizzlies, Pelicans, Mavericks, there's just going to be so many games that just don't matter to at least one, maybe two teams involved in it, and that's kind of a shame. 
there are big ideas of ways to change that, but functionally speaking, even lottery reform is going to fix that. Though I'm really excited that the the bad teams are playing better now, which I think is fun. You know, the Knicks have been feistier, the Cavs have been winning now that Kevin Love's gotten back, and then the Bulls and Hawks just look like totally different teams, and yeah. that's great. They lost enough that they'll probably still be okay in in the in the places that in the places that they are. You know, like I. I at this point, I don't expect the Hawks to like pass the Grizzlies, though it is a distinct possibility. And then the Bulls are probably pretty stable. They, I believe the Bulls now have three games in the win column on both sides, so they're probably going to have the fourth best lottery odds. And I'm good with that. And and I like that those teams are going to be... So what's funny is we might end up in a circumstance where six, seven, eight, whoever that ends up being, are playing worse at the end of the season than three, four, five. That's interesting. Because they have so many banked losses that it just... I mean, because the, the bottom five teams were just so appallingly bad at the beginning of the season that they gained a lot of a lot of leeway yeah yeah uh i noticed in that discussion of those very worst teams playing better you didn't mention the suns no i didn't okay yeah they lost what was it 17 <laughs> in a row hey they won one they did they did win one <laughs> they, and they're playing and, better and the suns have pieces that i'm very interested in. like that's like i mean i'm okay with them being bad this year if they can use that to evaluate you know like if I've liked Mikhail Bridges so far. Devin Booker has taken a major step forward. Aiton has been what I expected, which is good. I, I, you know, I had, I had him, I think second, maybe third on my board. And now they have, you know, like they have some really interesting decisions to make here. And I, I don't know exactly what they're going to do with it. They'll, they'll probably be more kicking the can down the road for 2020, but, oh, we can do that as a, cause I don't know the next time I'll have you on. Do you have a place that you want Zion Williamson to get drafted? Hmm. Um, I, if you want to think about it, I can give you how my answer has changed. What's, so, what's your answer? I, and this came from a conversation with Sam Vecini a while ago. I had long wanted him to go to the Knicks because yeah. I thought you could, you know, you could do a lot with that. The combination of Zion and Porzingis was fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And that was, and, and, and the Knicks, you know, like, cause the possibility of getting cap space. But now what concerns me about Zion going to the Knicks is that there is a distinct chance if he went number one, that Zion would then be traded to New Orleans. And I have some misgivings about that for a variety of reasons. I mean, we don't know who's going to be running their front office and what their priorities are going to be. And I mean, we still don't really have an identity that I know of for Gail Benson as an owner. So I don't know, you know, like in terms of the luxury tax and what their process would be and all that kind of stuff. So you have that. But if the Knicks kept Zion, that would be fantastic. But what I'm going to go with as my number one right now is Dallas, just because... You just want him with Porzingis. Well, and Luca. I mean, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Like you have, no, but I just, but yeah, I just meant, yeah. That, that is a part of a part goes, of what, that is a part of what happened. Also, that means Dallas keeps keeps that pick, and then then all of a sudden, what they do with their like max ish space is far more important. And maybe somebody even better gets interested in them. Like then, if you're Jimmy Butler, do you go, hey, like look look at that team? And let's say theoretically, then you have Luca, Luca, Zion, Jimmy, and Porzingis, and whoever you want at the one, that team is just filthy. I'm gonna say Dallas is a good answer, and I they might be my number two, but I'm gonna say the Wizards. Um, that's a team that's just been in a rut, but has some intriguing pieces, and Zion I think would fit well. And would all of a sudden maybe awaken everything in Washington? Do you really have to kiss Andrew Sharp that that? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I mean, he would be so happy. But yeah, like the if you're going to talk about like the marginal, the, that's an interesting concept of the idea of where he makes the greatest difference in terms of like the interest in the franchise. Because the Wizards, I mean, if you get Zion, then you're going to keep Bradley Beal in all likelihood. So then you avoid being kind of in the 
the the dustbin for a couple of years, which is certainly a possibility for Washington, especially with John Wall being hurt, you know, for most, if not all of next season. So he would make a big difference there. I'm trying to think of any other teams where he just like totally changes the arc of the franchise immediately. Well, I mean, he changes it for every team, but like I was just going to say, he might be the caliber of prospect where you know anywhere he goes is right. You're immediately building around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to think because another weird part of this is that a lot of the teams at the bottom don't have that. I mean, so Atlanta is probably in the conversation. If Trey Young is that guy, then you go okay, Trey and Trey and Zion, and then depending on if John Collins fits with those guys, John Collins, maybe Kevin Herter. Like, yeah, that's a really fun team. Like, that's that's a league pass darling from day one that could eventually become a really really good team. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, he he make everyone better. That's part of why he's why he's a really good prospect. But yeah, I'm I'm surprised you didn't say charlotte because then you can then kemba doesn't have to toil in obscurity but, indeed, but yeah. i like i like that kemba's toiling in obscurity on his own doing it all <laughs> and i also you can't you can't have it both ways right i picked the hornets as one of my if in my fantasy world they're getting in the playoffs they're not in the lottery i i didn't i didn't include that no, they're gonna be the first they're gonna be the first team ever to do both of those things <laughs> Yeah, and another thing that's kind of unfortunate with this year. Oh, that's another one. But again, they're they're too good for it to really be realistic. I've said this for a long time that the craziest outcome would be if the Sixers via the Kings got the number one pick, but <laughs> because of how that swings for both franchises. But that is exceedingly unlikely at this juncture. Or uh, theoretically, the Lakers getting the number one pick. But I I did consider the Lakers. Uh, just the chaos that would be. If it's the Lakers. We would have to deal with, okay, let's put an over-under. Let's say that happens. And that would, of course, require the Lakers to miss the playoffs. How how many months would it be until we stopped getting inundated with the NBA's rigged? Would it be five? Like five months? It would be never. Would be <laughs> that's never. a fair point. Yeah, the, I mean, the Ewing envelope still gets brought up, so I guess that's true. Yeah, I, what would what would cause more uh, conspiracy theories? The Knicks getting the number one pick or the Lakers getting the number one pick? The Lakers, no hesitation. Because all... Okay. I, I mean, because they're, it would be the odds are so much steeper. Sure. Yeah, sure. Like, I mean, there's that, but the, the root of the conspiracy is New York. That's true. Hmm. I think it is the Lakers. It is the. I, I think. I think it's closer. It's closer than some would than some would believe. But I. I, I also think it's the Lakers because you know the Knicks could wind up probably will wind up with the best odds tied for the best odds of having the number one pick. I don't think people fully process that it's just fourteen percent. They look at it as oh well these teams have the best odds. If it wasn't one of the three teams that have the best odds, that meant it was probably rigged. Like, even though the odds of it being one of those teams is only 42%. I, I don't think people process that the right way. So I definitely think it is the Lakers. Yeah, the, the, that sound. Uh, I feel like if I brought up anything else, we'd end up talking for another hour. So I will thank you for your time, and hopefully we get to do this again. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Thanks again to Dan Feldman for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at NBC's Pro Basketball Talk, and you can follow him on Twitter at Dan Feldman NBA, D-A-N-F-E-L-D-M-A-N-N-B-A. Love talking with Dan and getting his perspective on where we're going. He is somebody that I consult with a lot in terms of making sure I have my T's crossed and my I's dotted because he has a, a great eye for that and, and so many other things. So definitely do check out his work. 
have a couple ideas of where I want to go for next week. Just need to kind of figure out who's available and when. And lots of fun stuff in this time before we really get firm into the playoff push to kind of get stock of where we are and and where we're going. And then, of course, the NCAA tournament's going to start up soon, so I'll I'll have Sam on at some point around then, whenever's convenient for him. So you can look forward to that, though. Of course, I just had him on. You can check out my more day-to-day takes dunked on you know we're back to frequent schedule now that we're really back from the Ulster break though our schedule is going to be a little bit disjointed Nate's actually going on an extended going on a trip for a for a wedding and so we'll have a little we'll it'll be a little bit different for the next bit but we're still going to be doing plenty of episodes and we will be doing an NBA cast on Monday fun game for us two teams we haven't done very often Nets Mavs so if you're listening to this before Monday evening you can watch that that is Nate and I giving alternate commentary on a game in that case Nets Mavs if you want to support the show there are a lot of ways that you can do it you can leave a rating leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing it's great if it's Apple Podcasts, they are still so big in our business. And if it's not, I understand. If you want to be super awesome and it's not, you can actually leave a review both places. Really do appreciate that. Also, word of mouth. If there was a single episode or you like the series, telling people in person online, say, hey, this is, this is good. It, it, anything that gets more eyeballs to it. And subscribing, downloading every episode is the same thing because then that gets our numbers up and the algorithms and all that do really like that. So it also makes sure that everything gets in your inbox because, I mean, I'm releasing this one on a Saturday evening. It happens sometimes. It just depends on guest availability and my own availability, of course. And if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. Not the greatest in the world at responding, but they go to a specific place and I make sure before I go to sleep every day that I'm, I have read all of those emails. It's important to me. But the single most important thing you can do to support this show and any others that have them is checking out our advertisers. For this episode, Peter Millar, excellent quality clothing, really whatever kind of thing you're looking for, they have a high quality option for it in all likelihood. And you do that by going to Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash real GM. Tells them you came from us, free shipping, free hat, pretty cool. BetOnline.ag, podcast one promo code gives you a 50% sign up bonus. Great way to engage with the sport and whatever whatever you're going to be watching. And True Car, great place to sell or trade in your car. That's all for now. I'll be back at some point next week. I'm guessing it'll be in the first half of the week because I'm actually going to be traveling over the weekend, but I'll get it out when it goes out. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.